Welcome everyone to our podcast, Connections. I am Michelle Prouse, and joining me today is... Lynette Ellis. And Michelle Burnham. And we are recording Conversations on the Couch. Michelle, thank you so much for being willing to come here today and to record a podcast with us. Lynette and I are very excited to do this again today. I'm, I'm excited to share part of my story. Awesome. So I remember when I first, well, one of the first times that I met you that, um, that I was so taken, it was on Facebook, actually, we were Facebook friends, and I was so taken by your little daughter, Elsie. <laughs> and, and I learned pretty quickly that you were posting a lot of just these cute little, what would you say, like Elsie-isms or something, you know, just like just really capturing her personality and sharing that with the world. And I just was really fascinated that you were doing this with your one child, because I know that you have quite a few children. And that's when I learned from, I think it was Molly that told me that, that Elsie was extra special and had a really neat story. So today we are going to talk about Elsie. But before we go into Elsie, I would love to know more about you and about your husband and your family. So would you mind just introducing the Burnham family to us? Yeah. Uh, so most people in the world do know my husband, Tracy. He's the landscaper that's landscaped a lot of the new homes or helped in some way. And he's the social butterfly. And I'm more of the, I want to stay home and be an introvert. Um, so we met actually on a blind date and we're married in less than three months. And if one of my children try to put me through that, oh, <laughs> I will not be happy. Um, but on our first date, we figured out that his parents and my dad were from the same tiny, tiny town in northern Wyoming. And our grandmas were best friends. He had actually dropped his grandma off at my house when I was in junior high. And so it wasn't like we were total strangers. <laughs> our families had history. We just didn't know it. Um, no, wait. You're... Your grandmothers were best friends. Yeah. That's okay. pretty amazing. I think they were probably at work. I know. I was <laughs> making say, were they alive at this time? Yeah. Well, no, my, my grandma was not. She was quite a bit older. She was, my, um, I think, I don't know if both of his parents or at least one of them, she was a school teacher and she was one of their teachers. So my dad was quite a bit older than his um, parents. But yeah, same tiny town. In fact, we joke because everywhere you go, you end up meeting someone that's from Lovell, Wyoming. Lovell, Wyoming. Lovell, okay. Wyoming. What part of Wyoming is that? Very Northern. Okay. Um, I lived in Powell, Wyoming for a lot of my younger years, which is 30 minutes from there. But um, yeah, so we, we got married. We have um, five kids. Trace is our oldest. He is 23 and he lives um, in a home in Pleasant Grove. In fact, I think he's in Bishop Atkinson's old homeward um oh. or his parents live in that ward there's something like that and um devon is my oldest daughter she is almost 22 and she just made me a grandma so two fun. weeks ago and it is the best thing in the world um she's my mini me devon we get she's i know what she's thinking i know what she's doing like she's <laughs> she's always been easy and because i we're just like the same. Um, and she married her not, I mean, they did date in high school. They weren't really high school sweethearts till the end of senior year, but they've known each other since second grade. So 
Okay. Oh my goodness, um, that's so cool. American Heritage is a small community where my kids yes. go to school. So, um, yeah. So she, um, they just live in Orem. So I get to see her a lot. Uh, Chloe is my next one. She just turned 20. She lives with us still and um, graduated from medical esthetician school. And she works at Calm Spa and um, loves that. That is her. She was born to do that. Logan is 17 and he drives the cute like turquoise mm-hmm. 72 Chevy. <laughs> we have some envy about that. Yeah. <laughs> I know all about that truck. It's super fun. He wrestles for um, American Fork High School and um, been always been just a uh, laid back, great brother, kind of easy and also test me to my limits, child. <laughs> um, and then we have a large gap and we have Elsie that just turned eight in December. And um, let's see, before I start that, I'll say I grew, my dad taught, um, CES was the institute director for the church and they sent him around a lot. So my other si- my older siblings, I'm seven of eight kids. My older siblings moved about every year. Um, I didn't move quite that much growing up, but so I've lived in a couple places in California, Wyoming, Utah, and Texas. Did so, you did you ever own like a big belt buckle? <laughs> no. <laughs> in fact, I didn't start listening to country music until after I moved back from Texas. Until I moved back to Utah. Utah always felt home to me, which was weird. It was the shortest I lived anywhere. Um, but it, it, I knew that's where I wanted to go. So right after graduation, I came, came back to Utah. So, um, I love Utah. I love the mountains. I love to be outside. I love to hike and camp and do all of that kind of stuff. Um, so you were in Utah when someone set you up with Tracy then? Yes. So Tracy's lived in Orem his entire life. Like, well, I think he may have been born in Provo, but, um, they moved one block away while he was on his mission. So same ward. He's never really I, like that's So odd to me to think of that. Even living, we've lived in this home. Gosh, how did I say Logan was? So probably 15 years. And for me, that's like weird, but I love that my kids are growing up in one house. I never had mm. that. So it's a different experience um, for them. But because I moved around a lot, our family's really, really close because we had to cut ties so often with friends that we kind of learned to rely on each other. So if you, if you move, don't, I hear people like, oh, but we don't want to take so-and-so away from, it's actually a really mm-hmm. great thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really great to live in the mission field outside of, in Texas, where it was a really, really good thing for me. And actually for my brother, he probably wouldn't have gone on a mission if we hadn't moved to Texas. He'll, he'll tell you that. Um, but yeah, my husband lived in Orem, graduated from Orem High School, and um, served his mission in upstate New York. Awesome. And it was my sister-in-law was friends with his older brother all through high school and stuff. She's the one that said it. She's crazy. So literally, <laughs> I mean, she is. She knows that it's my brother's crazy and my sister. That's why they work. They're both crazy. And when she set me up, I was like, oh, gosh, okay. But it worked out. And did you say met and married within three months? Yes. Wow. <laughs> I think our first date was December 19th or somewhere around there, and we got married March 8th. 
Wow. So we like, that's people so are like, brave. oh, the first year of marriage is so hard. And we're like, it's awesome. It's like we're dating and we don't have to go home. <laughs> like it's the best thing ever. So we don't, we don't fight, but that's because I'm so easygoing. Oh, for sure. Exactly. <laughs> um, so anyway, so um, I'll tell you, so I'll start here kind of pre-LC. Um, after the four kids, my husband was kind of like, I feel like we're done. I'm like, okay. I never got that feeling either way. I don't get baby hungry. I like them a little bit older than little babies. Um, and I said, but don't come to me in a long time begging for a baby because then we'll have to have two because it'll be an only child. I, and I distinctly remember him telling them, telling him that. And about, it was probably about 10 years ago. He starts coming home every day after work. Oh, I met this couple. They had a caboose. They said it's the best thing they've ever done. And I met this couple. They said they're all their kids are grown now. And they said, if we could redo it, we'd have more kids. And so every day, like every day he's saying this. And it took me about a year to be like, okay, he's not just talking. Like he's hinting, he's buttering me (laughs) up for something. So then he tells the kids, all the other kids that he thinks we should have a baby. So now everyone's working on me. And I was not, I will tell you this, every time you brought it up, I got sick to my stomach and I'm not that type of person. Like usually I'm like, okay, whatever you feel like we should. Okay. You know, let's pray about it, whatever. But I just got sick to my stomach and I actually felt really guilty and I would pray and I would be like, am I so selfish (laughs) that I want, I like my free time so much that I can't even consider having another baby like I really kind of struggled with that for a a long time and how old was Logan at this point Logan would have been probably about seven because he's nine years older so they they talked to me for a good year (laughs) and I never felt good about it I never did we finally one day we went to go to the temple and right as we got to the doors a water line had just broken and they were sending everyone home so we went home and we knelt down and we just said, let's just have a prayer beside our bed. So we knelt down and we had this prayer and I remember Tracy was saying it and I was just still feeling just sick to my stomach. And he said, we know it, I don't know exactly, but something about, we know there might be health concerns we're not aware of and da 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 And I felt total peace in that one moment. And that was the only moment I felt any peace. And I was like, okay, that was weird. But I was finally just like, okay, let's do this whatever. It can't be a bad thing. Bringing another child into the world cannot be a bad thing. So, um, so we got pregnant and, um, we early on, we found out it was a girl. We had the ultrasound for the girl. And so it came around to my five month ultrasound where they check everything. And we fifth kid, my Tracy had like some meeting or something. I'm like, don't worry about it. I'll just go, you know, nothing ever is goes wrong right it's just we already know it's a girl so I'm by myself um and my OBGYN gets really quiet you know he starts doing that thing I'm I'm not worried but then he's got a really worried look on his face and he's like I'm pretty sure this looks like he said hypoplastic left heart to me which I'll tell you right now I don't remember things I hardly remember my own children's names most of the time. I don't remember things, but that stuck in my head. And I knew instantly this is, this is what we're going to be dealing with. And he took me out, made me an appointment with um, Utah Valley to get some better ultrasounds. Because he wouldn't say, I won't say for sure. This is what I think. It's very serious. Be sure you get 
you know, so he made me make sure that appointment was made. They couldn't get me in for uh, quite a while. I think it was like a month or two months oh or something like goodness. that. Like, no. So <laughs> uh, how did you sleep at night? Well, I'm not a worrier. I'm a, I'm not a overreactor. I'm an underreactor. Like sometimes I feel like I should have acted more. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like sometimes I take things too lately. So, um, but I got in the car and I was feeling emotional a little bit. I called Tracy and he's like, I'm sorry you were there alone. And kind of figured out in my life that when anything really big has happened, I'm alone. Heavenly Father does not send me anybody. And it's just been recently that I, in fact, one time I even prayed my husband's, this is a whole nother podcast, but two of his nephews died within six months of each other. Same family, one from cancer, one from a horrible in-home accident. Oh. But, um, and I just was like, Heavenly Father, I need to talk to somebody. I need, send me somebody, somebody, you know, have that one person knock on it. Cause I don't open up easily. It would have to be, they have to come to me. I'm not going to go to them. I, it's not my thing. And, but he doesn't. And I just have recently figured out it's because I need to rely on my savior. And I, and he is the only one that, um, isn't going to say the wrong thing to me in the, you know what I, I don't know. I don't know. He's the one that I can trust and that's who I need to rely on the most. And I'm okay with that. But so I'm usually alone when these things happen, which is fine. Um, but I did go home and get on the internet, which was probably a bad thing. Um, and I looked up hypoplastic left heart, but the more I read it, the more I had a piece that I was worried, but I had a piece that this was, this was a thing. And it's another thing I figured out that when I feel really worried, it's for nothing. And when I have a piece of something bad, then that's real. If that's, I'm being prepared for that. You know, it's interesting that that when, so tra- when you and Tracy were praying and, and, and he mentioned something about health, yeah. And then you felt that peace. Yeah. It was like you were being prepared. Yeah. For. Yeah. And he doesn't even remember saying wow. it. Like when I said it later, it's like, I had no idea and said that. And maybe I just heard that. I don't know. But that's what I, I needed to hear. And I, that kind of, so at this point that bothered me a lot um, that I had felt, I was like, Heavenly Father, why did I feel this sickness pit? Like, um, like it made me feel weak or that um, because she was coming with um, health issues, I don't know, I felt like, so why did I feel like this sickness about having this baby just because she's going to be hard? Like, I, I pride myself on being strong, and I think I felt he was telling me I was weak and I shouldn't do it because she's going to come with problems. Like, I've struggled with that for a long time, and it was actually in a Release Society lesson where um, in this ward, Elsie was probably like four or something at that point. I don't know. But um, they asked me to do a little, it was, it was Doctrine and Covenants again because we were studying Joseph Smith and stuff. And they asked me to do a little part on, I don't even remember, the lost pages or something like that. But it was during that time when I was studying that a little closer. And actually during that lesson, I think someone else had mentioned something about how when Joseph and Hiram were going to Carthage, they felt sick. And that was the first time I was like, oh, it wasn't because they weren't supposed to go. It's just that it was going to be hard. Like it was, it, and it, 
that was the first time I felt okay with it and okay with it, that I had felt those, those hard feelings. So, um, yeah, so that, that was, that was, that was a great, that helped me to realize, um, that for myself. Um, and then she, so they sit you down and they give you three options with these babies. Um, you can abort, you can't, which I didn't even hear that word. My husband had to tell me later that was one of the options. Cause I guess that was so foreign to my, whatever I would choose that I didn't even enter my brain. Um, you can choose what we did was to do a series of surgeries and eventual transplant. And then, um, or you can bring them home and they'll live about seven days, five to seven days, um, before passing. So we instantly knew that we were going to go with the options of surgery. And we just went into it as we'll have faith that we'll get her for as long. We'll do everything we can and then keep her for as long as possible. So, Michelle, I'm just really curious to ask you, I'm wondering, what was the rest of your family like at this time? What, What did you tell them? How did they... How did they take the news when they found out that something might be wrong with a baby? And the other question I had was actually about Tracy. I don't think I've ever heard a story where it's the husband that's like, I really want to have another baby, (laughs) like especially a caboose. So was he, do you feel like he was just like feeling really inspired that he wanted to do this? Or has he always just been like, he just loves lots of kiddos or does love babies. He loves babies. Um, that's why I knew he was going to be the one. And after we found out what was wrong with Elsie, I said, I'm not having another one. <laughs> like I put my foot down at that point. I'm like, cause he still was pushing for the two, even after we knew all of this. But um, yeah, he's always, I think I, it's taken me a long time to realize that his, um, I feel like my inspiration is really spiritual and his is more, I don't know, not practical, but it's just kind of how he is. So I don't see it as being guided as much. Do you know what I, I don't know if that because makes sense. Because maybe it's without all of the emotion. Yes. we. Yeah. It's just like, it's just what I'm thinking. And this makes sense. And, yeah. you know, like he looks at it more of a practical way, even though he is the one he was being, definitely being led. Like I can't even imagine not having her be a part of our family. We would almost be empty nesters. Like I can't, I can't even fathom that at all. And I actually had a really um, cool experience in Ross. (laughs) I couldn't um, buy her anything. Like I could not for the life of me bring myself to buy, get prepared at all because I didn't know if I was going to bring her home. And Mm -hmm. I didn't want to come home to that. And so everyone wanted to give me a shower and I'm like, can we wait till she we're home. And then let's, then we'll all talk about that. So I was trying to buy something. Cause I'm like, she, I do have to have some things. Um, and I was in Ross and I pulled out this really ugly <laughs> onesie. I didn't buy it. I couldn't buy it cause I was crying, but it just said daddy's angel. And I just was like, I had this, like, <sighs> it just struck me right then that she was so, gosh, I'm not really emotional, but she was so grateful that he fought for her because she wanted to come. And I, it had never, um, 
I'd never thought of it that way before, but it, I just knew in that moment that was her just saying, I, I want this. I want to be a part of your family. And, and Heavenly Father had to go through him to do it, I guess. I don't, know if, I don't know if I would have done that on my own. Probably not. I'm too practical. I would have been like, oh, that's we're way past that. Um, yeah, so um, I, in this heart community that you become a part of, you meet other heart moms through either just social media or at the hospital, um, different things like that. And I remember there was one girl or one um, family that their daughter had the same diagnosis, but they chose to um, not, in, not intervene, just bring her home and let her pass. And um, when I read that story, and I remember distinctly, they said, we, we didn't feel like we could ask her to fight a battle that she couldn't win um, because they're very open and they'll tell you, don't expect to outlive your child. Um, you know, we don't know how long, hopefully, They've only been doing these surgeries for probably 30 years. I think the oldest is about 30. So we really don't even know a lot about what their futures look like. So, um, and I remember thinking, I don't have that kind of faith to, I didn't, like, I questioned my faith because I never even considered that um, option. I never thought of just letting her pass. It was instant. I, we knew we wanted to do all we could and just keep her for as long as, as Heavenly Father wanted her to be part of our family. And I struggled with that um, for a while because I felt like my faith was weak, that um, I, I questioned, do I really believe in salvation? Like, do I really believe in another life? Like, am I so, is my faith so weak that I, maybe I'm not trusting that aspect of the gospel? Um, and it took me actually a long time and a lot of thinking and pondering to realize um, that that just wasn't my, it wasn't my journey. It wasn't her journey. Um, and I didn't need to have faith in that journey. I needed to have faith in what our journey was going to be. And um, we felt strongly um, that this is what we were supposed to do. So um, it helped me realize other people's faith looks different and we can't judge it and we don't need faith in someone else's journey we don't need faith in someone else's trial we need faith in ours and um we can be confident in that faith that we have but it took me looking back um a lot to realize that that wasn't a lack of faith on my part but it was a faith in the plan that heavenly father had for me um so i i learned um I've been learning a lot about my faith. I, I was um, mentioned earlier that I'm naturally a faithful person. I come by it really naturally. I've never had a faith crisis. Um, and so these things have been a, a, I'm grateful that they've taught me these lessons in faith because I may not have otherwise learned them. Um. So she was, I also had placenta previa, which I had my doctors fighting to take her early, her doctors fighting to leave her in as long as possible because she, her first surgery is at like three days old. Oh, oh wow. Um, and as long as you're pregnant with her, she's great. She's fine. She's completely so really you do fine. Wanna... So there's a valve that's oh. opened when you're in the womb that closes. And her, so hypoplastic left heart is essentially the left side of her heart didn't ever develop. So um, 
the surgeries, their three open heart surgeries, and then however many other procedures they need. Um, one at hers was four days, and that one um, makes it a two chamber single ventricle heart. Um, and so her, where we have, they call the right side of your heart, the lazy side of your heart, because it's function is to feed oxygen or feed blood to the lungs and get oxygenated like that's it's only and it pumps like half as or I think it's less than half as many times as the um, the left side so she essentially has only the lazy side of the heart and it's doing everything so it's doing like quadruple what it's meant to do um so it naturally will wear out soon so um so the three surgeries, the first one at three days, four, well, four days. And the next one, she was seven months. And then she had the last one when she was four, four or five, four. Um, no, we, we put it off till five. She was doing good enough. So we put it off. That's right. Um, so at five, and then she's had multiple procedures, other procedures. And the thing about... There's no fix um, for that, but then it also causes, because there's a lot of construction going on inside of her and a lot of backup and things, so it affects her lungs and it affects her liver. We've started seeing a liver specialist now as well, Um, but she's done really great. Staying at the hospital is crap. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's super... Primary Children's is the most amazing, beautiful place that I hate with all of my being. And I had a lot of guilt there because she did so well. And it was really hard, but Mm. most kids are not doing so well there. And that is really, really hard to, um, I don't know, just be in. And as she got, this last surgery was by far the hardest because she was old enough to have a personality that you see change and, you know, and to communicate, but she was also old enough to be, she's really bad, um, separation anxiety. And so I can't ever even leave. I can't step a foot out of that hospital room. Um, the whole time she's there. So I sleep in the bed with her and, and I don't Uh even, I can't even leave to get food or anything unless someone else comes. And then if it had happened, that's why I've, Honestly, I was most worried about her getting COVID if she ended up in the hospital because we would have really been trapped <laughs> Oh yeah, in that room. So at what age did you explain to her what was going on with her heart? Did she- It's really interesting, and I've noticed this with other people going um, through the same thing. They know. They really? come knowing. They start saying things from the time that they can speak. They know so much more than what we give them credit for. Um, a girl that I, um, her son is, I think he's not quite two. And I, I started contacting her grandma, knows Laura Worthlin, and they kind of, connect, I connected to the grandma because she um, told Laura about her daughter having this baby with hypoplastic left heart. And so I started contacting her and the mom didn't really want to talk to anybody, which is exactly the way I felt. I didn't, there's support groups and things, but I couldn't, I didn't want to expect something I wasn't going to get. And I didn't want to, I don't know. I didn't want to 
expect anybody else's story to end up being mine and then it not. I didn't, I don't, I, I, but her, she seemed to be the same way, the mother of this boy. So I talked a lot to the grandma to try and kind of help and, and just give like pointers of like what to have and how to, what she's going to need and all these things. And I remember thinking I would get off the, I would get off the text after I'd written, taken notes and thought of all the things I could think of. And I would send them to her and I would just feel this exhaustion and this emotion. And I was like, I don't know how she's going to do it. And I sit there for a minute. I'm like, what do you mean? I've, I've done it. But looking at it from the outside, you don't know how anybody can do it, but you're in it and you do it because right. There's no other choice. There was, we were there at Christmas time and there was an ornament on the Christmas tree at primary children's when she was born. And it said, um, you don't know how strong you are until strong's your only option. I don't know. It's a famous saying, but I don't know exactly how it goes. And I had never heard it before. And I just thought that is so true. You don't, you don't know what you can do until you're asked to do it. So, um, our kids, when we told them, Honestly, I was emotional. <laughs> so me, Tracy, tell them. And I remember thinking, they don't understand because they, they were just like, okay. Like, they were still so, just so excited to have a little sister. Um, I don't remember if anyone else cried. We're not an emotional family, so I was probably trying to not be emotional. Um, I do know talking to Devin, like, not even just recently, kind of within the last couple of years and her saying how uh, much pressure she felt because she felt like she took on the mom role when I was gone without ever having to be asked. But it totally makes sense. That's her personality. And I never even considered like what that was for her, but she was, because I was going, I would drop them off at school in the morning. I'd go straight to primary children's when she was first born, stay all day, come home. Someone in the ward would bring dinner. Thank goodness. Um, we'd have dinner as a family. I'd try and finish up any homework. And we just did that every single day. And even, and it's the same thing when I think back on it now, I don't know how I did it because for one thing, I have to have sleep or I, I do not function on no sleep well at all. And I was able to sleep when I got home, which is very weird. (laughs) I shouldn't have been able to sleep. Right. Um, and I had to drive to primary children's every day. And that was the worst winter, like I look back at pictures and there was two feet of snow on the tables at primary. It was just, I remember some nights would take me hours to drive home because the roads were so bad. I do not like driving period. I don't like driving at night and I don't like driving in bad weather, but I just, it wasn't an option. So I didn't think about it and we just did it. So the kids were really, really good. I remember one time, um, we were, they were trying to schedule I think they were trying to schedule when I had to have her by C-section only because I had placenta previa. So they were trying to schedule that and the girls were super excited still. And I'm like, I don't think you understand how serious this is. Cause they were just like, Oh yay!" And Logan was the only one that was really quiet and just didn't really say anything. And then he looked at me and he was like, I like it better when she's in your stomach. And we kind of laughed. Like we thought, Oh, that's cute. You know, he was, probably still eight at the time. And, um, and then it was later that day. I was like, I need to, I need to talk to him. I need to figure out what he meant by that because 
I think there is more to that. So I asked him and he was the only one that was more in tune with it. And he said, well, when she's in your stomach, she's safe. And when she's born, we don't know if she'll be alive. But I don't think it clicked with anybody else, but it did with him. And they've always had a really, a really close, really special relationship. So he was more of the in tune with that. Um, but I, I, as I look back on it, I always think I was kind of more wrapped up in my journey of it. And I wasn't really aware of what it was doing to anybody else, um, which I feel bad about now. Like, I feel like I, I, I don't know if I thought my kids were too young to really, well, for one thing, they didn't act like they were, it was a big deal. I didn't talk to him as much. I did find out years later that that's the year that Chloe started cutting. Um, and we, it took me a while to figure out, oh, that was the trigger for her. Um, because they were just kind of on their own a little bit and didn't know how to deal with it. Probably I should have given them more. more you know what, though? I, I can't help but think while we've been listening to you of my own story, as you know, I have a handicapped sister. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I look back on those years where we were all growing up very close to the same age. And my mom, she, it was all she could do to just make sure that, that those of us that were healthy, mm-hmm. that we had what we needed. She provided meals. She provided rides. She provided that consistency. But I know she must have been completely swallowed up in the journey of that particular child because my sister was all-consuming for her. I know that is true. And now that we're adults and we all have our own families and we've moved away and my mom's an empty nester and my sister is in a professional care facility, my mom has had to process that. She's kind of gone through some of that like we were just talking about this yesterday. She was talking about how she had some guilt and then she wondered about had she done enough and she had to kind of process those years that she, you know, now that she's finally alone. And she said, I realized something really profound and that's that this situation was also custom made for each of you. Mm. And I didn't mess anything up. I did all that I could do, and heavens knows in that situation, she, she did. And I'm sure for you, too, you had to make sure you had some sleep. You had to make sure that everybody was cared for. And this highly delicate situation with Elsie, you know, took the majority of your physical time. But just for me, comparing my family, I think the role that my sister has played in our family as siblings of that special needs child, I can't even tell you the impact she's had on us. I mean, she is everything to us and to my children and the things that we have learned by having that more high needs person in our lives. I mean, those lessons cannot be taught any other way. And we are who we are because of her. And I've I don't at all blame my mom or my dad or the situation for what it was. I'm truly just just grateful that we all hung in there together, you know? 
Yeah. I think it's, I, I think it's much the same way with you. And um, as we kind of started this podcast, I was saying, you know, how you have done such an amazing job recording Elsie's journey and sharing that with friends, family, the ward, strangers. I was a total stranger when I kind of came in on this outside. I thought, this is so funny. Why does, it's so cute when she posts about this beaming, cute little eight-year-old girl and you are sharing that gift with everybody. Yeah, it's it's weird to me that the majority of our ward doesn't know Elsie because she was like a rock star famous person in the first ward because I was primary president when I got pregnant and um, they had to release me early right before she was born. But um, so they were the, the primary kids were the first one I told that I was pregnant because I thought that'll be a great way to spread the news. They can all go home and tell their families. <laughs> so true. <laughs> um, and I had so many of those kids. So our, our ward has fasted and prayed for Elsie so many times. Like my mom has even Aww. said, there's no way Heavenly Father could have told you no. There were too many people praying for her. And um, that first, for when she was born, they had the first fast um, so many of the kids said that weren't eight yet fasted for her. And they said, I have yeah. to fast for, for her. So I think that was a huge blessing um, to have those prayers. Like I felt those prayers. I remember people will talk about, we felt your prayers and it, that actual like saying they felt that. And I'd never really noticed that until the first time I went to the temple after she was born. And it was, my niece was getting ready to go on a mission. And I went, um, got to go when we got to go to the temple for those things. Um, (laughs) and I was sitting in the chapel and it just overwhelmingly hit me. How many times has her name been in this temple? And I just, that's the point where I felt that's when I felt it. And I, I was just super emotional and I, it just washed over me that I just was so grateful for how many people I've been praying for. The, her third surgery happened to be when um, my son-in-law now was in the MTC. And then my nephew, that's like a son to me, comes on all our vacations. He was in the MTC at the same time. Um, and so they had like the entire MTC fasting for that <laughs> third surgery, which that was, um, that was super awesome. I had a blessing before she was born from my dad, who has passed on now. But, um, and I remembered in it him saying something about I would be able to understand or have a better understanding of what Mary, um, the mother of the Savior, went through. And I thought, whoa, that's, you know, that's weird. Um, and then it was one day I was having a bad day. Molly, um, remember, actually came over. It was before I was still pregnant. I was like scrubbing the legs of my stools. I was trying to do something to keep my mind off of things, I was really starting to get emotional and just not knowing what was going to happen. That was the worst. It's just the waiting and then just not knowing. And, um, and a song came, I don't know. I was listening to the Christmas devotional. I hadn't watched it. So I was listening to it later and they were talking about Mary or something. And I just realized, I know what she felt like. She wasn't excited. She didn't know what to expect when it's supposed to be this happy fun, um, like starting a family or bringing this new, there was so much more to it, which maybe most people feel that I never did with any of my other pregnancies, but I just, I, in that moment, I was like, you're right. I know 
that she was so scared for a future that she did not know what it was going to look like and it was going to be hard. And I would never, ever, like, put myself in the same category with Mary, but um, I did feel that connection at that moment right then, which um, was neat. And then it was years later at um, girls' camp, I think Brittany Pine was... I don't remember. I think it was Brittany Pine that was camp director. And she asked me to play Mary in the um, faith walk thing that we did. And, and I told her, I said, I've never told, I've never really told anyone this. And I told her that, that I had had that. So that was, that was really cool. Um, I'm going to have to interject here. Cause yes. <laughs> when we first started talking, I had that total thought too. I I thought, this story reminds me so much of Mary. Mm. So mm. Mary yeah. didn't choose that either. Right. She didn't volunteer to be the mother of Christ. But I think, you know, we, we've been talking about faith here and, you know, what is faith? It's, it's the ability, I think, to just trust in the higher power and, and you've done that this whole time, this whole way, and just knowing that Heavenly Father has a has a specific plan for this child, you've just had to let go. I can't even imagine. It was. It took me a while, and one, finally one day I realized I don't have any guarantee of any of my children being here tomorrow. And I, I this sounds awful, but I hope. I would wish and hope that everyone can parent as if their child is going to die um, because it's a privilege. You suddenly, things that are stupid don't matter. Um, it's, a, it's a whole different perspective. I mean, I hope you don't have to live that way, but at the same time, it's been such a privilege. Um, and that's when you were talking about how much I would post and things about her, I, it, I'd never thought of it before it hit me. Um, that I think I was trying to, per- I'm trying more to preserve her because we don't know. Um, we still don't know how long she'll be um, a part of our family. I mean, we hope right now we just, it's another waiting game of doing little fixes and things here and there until she goes into heart failure and we go on a list for a transplant, which we hope is, that's usually before the age of 18. Um, we hope we can get her as close to that as possible. Um, Cause at war, or we hope that medical science keeps advancing and we can like grow her own heart from her. That's what I want. Mm-hmm. I want her to be able to grow her own heart from her own tissues so she could still have a baby because she's not going to be able to have her own children, which was one of my most, uh, that was. Been one of my biggest heart heartaches but she's been blessed because she tells me all the time mom I want to adopt and I've never told her and I've struggled with that when do I tell her do I tell her do I tell her you if she hasn't had a heart transplant it would be too much work for her heart Um, and if she has had a transplant you can't have a baby because you're on rejection meds so you can't it would reject the baby um so it's just really miracles can happen but probably not possible for her but she's always, and still to this day, is always saying, I don't think I want to have my own kids. I think I want to adopt my kids. And maybe that's been a blessing um, 
from Heavenly Father. I don't, I don't know. Devin always said she would, we're going to harvest her eggs so she could maybe have a surrogate if she chose. And Devin was like, I'll do that. And then Devin got pregnant and was really sick and was like, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Just kidding. That was awful. (laughs) Yes. But that post the other day you had with Elsie holding Devin's baby and Elsie just had, she was just like, her face was exhilarated with awe and wonder. And the baby was just hanging on to her pinky and, and Elsie was just looking at those itty bitty little fingers. I think that's the one thing I've learned about Elsie is she's she's just so full of wonder yeah. about the world. The things she says, the things she notices, it's just it makes me realize that I'm almost living with my eyes closed because everything is like this amazing wonder, experience yeah. to her. Yeah, and this wonder. And I know children are like that, but she seems just very just in tune, even with the minutes that she has, they just yeah. seem magnified and and just extra special. She, um, we, I mean, we say she has half a heart, but she has doubled the love mm. of most people. And she really does. Like people that don't even know her story are drawn to her, her classmate, everybody is just, she just has a, a light about her. She's, she's, she's fun. And she's just full of love for everybody. She's really sensitive and she's um super amazing and I know all my kids are and I wish I saw them as that amazing from the beginning but I I mean I know I I think we do but I was forced to see it more in her which has been a great blessing it's been really really awesome is she super close to her dad is she a daddy's angel yes yeah, well, she's super close to everybody. She just loves everybody. But yes, that's, well, she's my stuck at my hip, but dad will do anything for her. She's still, she's so we can't from the, she can't cry. I mean, she can cry, <laughs> but even as a baby there, we're told you can't let her cry. You have to try and soothe her as soon as possible because that's just too much for her heart. Um, so she's always slept in our room. She still sleeps in our room, not in our bed. She has her own bed, but it's in our room. And there was one point when she was probably, oh, she was probably, it was probably before second surgery. Yeah. So she was probably about four months old where we tried for a minute to get her to sleep in a crib in her own room. And um, it didn't last very long because she couldn't, I couldn't let her cry. And I was so exhausted (laughs) that I'd rather her just be right beside me when she woke up than having to get up. And I remember one night. I was walking to her room like a zombie and I finally, I just stopped in the hall and I just said, Heavenly Father, there has got to be a grandma that can come and sit with Elsie. Can you send Grandma Wilcock or Grandma Hamblin? I'm sure someone would love to. And she stopped crying instantly and I turned around and I said, thank you. And I didn't even realize it as what of a big deal it was. And I just went to bed and I slept. She slept the rest of the night, which was amazing. Um, so angels on the other side do want to help us. I think we need to give them more credit for what they, for the answer, the prayers that they answer as well. But so anyways, it still didn't last very long. I didn't dare call on that every night. So She's in our bed and or in our room and but we don't care. Like, you know, how long is it really gonna last? It's not gonna last that long. So yeah. Well, she may just 
as she gets a little bit older too, say, you know, I'm really thinking I want to be a big kid and I want to yeah. be, you know, and she may actually probably miss it. Now. Exactly. <laughs> well, she did for a while there. She's like, I want to have my room in Chloe's old room. And I'm like, no, you don't. I'm thinking in my head, okay, well, then as we started getting ready, she's like, never mind. I'm not going to sleep in there. I'll just play in there. <laughs> well, I yeah. have, I've had children that, that do that anyway, when they were Around Elsie's age. My Abby yeah. was like that too. She just, she needed that security yeah. for a really long time. I thought, is she ever going to like move past having to be on my floor? I'd wake up in the morning, she'd be on my floor yeah. or she'd be on the couch yeah. at the end of our bed or something, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. I know my older kids are jealous because they always wanted to sleep in our room and we were always like, no, not sleeping in our room. Elsie <laughs> gets to now and I would have loved that, but. Now I almost wish I would have let him. I mean, it's not why it's like, how long do they even want to be there? Oh, right? I know. When people talk about that, I'm like, don't worry. It will go away on its it, own. I know. Yeah. I know. Before you're ready. For we don't it. know what we don't know. We're right. living yeah. by the minute. Yep. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just getting to know Elsie. Yes. And, but just as I've been listening to today, I think one of the gifts that she has brought with her is for the ability of others to learn to love her through sacrifice. You know, not only her siblings, they've, they've sacrificed a lot, but I'm sure that has brought your family so close and that she will always be such a special part of your family. But then, you know, listening, you know, when you talk about those primary children who are willing to fast and sacrifice that for her to the missionaries at the MTC, I think there's just such a love. Being able to sacrifice for others is such a gift because we do learn to love deeply. And I think that's a gift that she has brought with her. Yeah, I think that's why the word has felt like, like you'll hear some, if you look on some of my posts, some of the members that have been in since, um, since we have are like, you know, she's our baby too. You know, she's our yeah. Elsie too. They claim her as well because, I, and I, I wanted that. I wanted it to be I wanted it to be an open story. I wanted it to everyone have a part of that story. If um, I don't know, I, I always felt like that's that was how it was going to be. It was going to be a, a story for everyone around us, I guess. Then can you imagine if, well, you can't imagine, it's almost not even worth mentioning, but, you know, the lady that decided... For her, her journey was she felt that it was right to not, you know, go through all of the fuss of the surgeries and everything, but the gift that you've been able to give, and I'm sure it was Elsie's choice. Yeah. You know, Elsie knew that she had a mission. She worked this out, I'm sure, with the Lord on the other side. You know, this is, I choose to go through this. I choose this experience, and it's just had this lasting impact on everybody i'm sure nurses doctors everybody oh yeah she was chubby as a baby which is very unusual for a heart baby and the nurses and doctors would just all come when i would take her in for appointments because they wanted to see her and touch her and because she was just this chunky thing which is really unusual so she's uh, yeah everyone falls in love with elsie really quickly mm. yeah she's she's got She's got love to share and lessons to teach. I think she's above her years. She understands things um, 
beyond her years, which is kind of sad in this same <laughs> same sense. But um, I just can't imagine anything. I really cannot imagine her not being a part of our family, what that would have looked like. And it was during our, um, so it was, I'll br- okay, I didn't know if I was going to bring this. I'll bring this up. So we were planning her third surgery. I remember this day so clearly. We were in Provo getting um, a passport for my daughter because she was going to go on a humanitarian trip to South Africa. Um, my son just, gosh, days before my oldest son had just decided he was not going to go on his mission. Just two weeks before his farewell, we were all had everything ready. And I was devastated because <clears throat> I always knew it'd be a miracle if he ever went on a mission. And I thought I was getting that miracle. And I was, I can see now how it was best that he didn't go. Cause he, I know he would have come home early and then it would have um, really affected him worse in a worse way. But anyway, so he had just told us that we were getting her passport and I get a phone call from um, a teacher at the school that my other daughter is locked in the bathroom and he has talked to her and she's suicidal. And I had no earthly idea, not even a sliver of an idea completely blindsided me. She was doing a report on, oh, they were doing kind of like a Ted talk type thing. And hers was on, can you choose happiness? And she had manic depressive and I didn't know and she'd had it for years and I so I'm having this conversation we're trying to get my daughter her passport I was um in the process we're in the process of trying to choose a date for third surgery for Elsie and um it was in within literally a couple days I get a call from Logan's teacher and he's trying to he was at American Heritage at the time he's not anymore he was trying to like get kicked out of the school he wasn't doing any of assignments and lying on both ends. So we both thought things were getting done. And that's the only time in my life where um, I couldn't, I never, I didn't question my faith. I never questioned anything like that. But I felt like nothing but this constant replay worry in my mind. Like I couldn't pray. I couldn't read my, I love to study my scriptures every day. I couldn't keep my thoughts secure for half a second. I would start to pray and then I would just go through all my kids name by name and these horrific things, life changing events that they're going through. My um, daughter's missionary, this isn't the missionary she married. It was her first missionary, horrible breakup that she thought she was going to marry. Within a three month period, all these things were happening. Um, My daughter ended up cutting her wrists and we were on Mm -hmm. 24 hour suicide watch. I was sleeping with her um, it was like a five-minute break between Devin and I that we took away from her that she cut her wrists. Um, we were in and out of the emergency room with her. Um, and I was like, these are too big. I can't do all of this at the same time. I don't know how to do this. And I, I was so grateful that I had done the little things up to that point that had strengthened mm. my faith because I hadn't, I couldn't do it during that point. I couldn't do any of the small things. I was going through the motions, but my mind was literally couldn't focus on anything. And um, it was when, I think it was when President Nelson 
wasn't the prophet yet, and he gave the challenge to read the, um, everything about Christ, go through the Bible dictionary. And I thought, okay, I'll try that. And that is the only thing I could do. And I, as long as I focused on Christ and just Christ, nothing else, I could stay focused and I could read those scriptures. And that's what slowly started to work me through this and, and get me through. And it was the worst. And I look back at it and still see it as my worst time. But as I look back, I realize it was the worst time because it's the only time in my life I've been so inverted. Like I couldn't see outside of my own trials at all. I couldn't, I couldn't do anything for anybody else. I could barely act, you know, be the mom and, and keep that together as normally as possible. But I look back and they always say, you know, if you can serve and do these things, um, it can help you get an eye, but I couldn't, it was the only time in my life where I was so inverted. And that's why I was completely so miserable. And as I studied Christ and could get through that, then I could start seeing outside of myself and my own trials. But I found myself for a while being like, if I would hear someone talk about something, I'm like, oh, you have no idea. (laughs) You don't just, just be glad that's what you're dealing with because all of my kids are changing their futures. Like I could lose two physically to death and I was, I was just so like, it was, it was really judgmental of other people complaining about their trials at that point. But I was, um, realized when a friend was talking about a, a trial she was going through that was really, really trivial to me. Um, it just hit me. That's a hard thing for her. Mm-hmm. That is a really hard trial for her right now. And it might seem really menial to me, but it's not to her. And it's your hard trials are your hard trials. And we can't compare them because whatever is your hardest trial is your personally hardest trial. You don't feel mine. I don't feel yours. And I learned a really good lesson of everyone is going through something hard. And even though I might think that person's hard looks easy, it's not for them. It's their hard thing. And I was really humbled um, really humbled by that. And we've made it through and we're in a really good place right now. And I still have faith that everything works out. Most of my, I have five kids. Most of them don't really want to have anything to do with the church. And that's really hard for me because it's always been a really, it's always been who I am, not a part of my life, but who I am. So I struggle with that. And it's taken me a long time of just realizing it's all going to be okay. Somehow, eventually, it's all going to be okay. And it might not even happen in this life. But there's time. There's always hope. And somehow it, it will work out. And I just have to, I don't know how. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay. I don't need the details. I just, as long as I can keep having that assurance that all of this, all of these things, because I'll tell you the hardest thing to do is look in your child's eyes and see nothing there. That my daughter with depression, that was the scariest, hardest thing I've ever got. It was easy for me to put Elsie's life in the Savior's hands 
because there was nothing I could do. And I could trust the doctors and I knew that they would do their best. That was easy. And I shouldn't say easy, but I could do that. I could put that in the Savior's hands really easy. I felt like my daughter was my responsibility when she was struggling with depression. I felt like this is something that I am supposed to, I can fix, or this is something that I, I need to do something about. This is more me. And to look in her eyes and absolutely see nothing is the scariest, worst. And I still, that's my first question in the next life. Explain to me how mental illness is a good thing. <laughs> I know good things can come from it. And I know people grow. And I know we learn compassion and empathy in these things. But that's, that's probably my biggest question because I know she can't feel the spirit. and. A lot of the time she, she can't, she chooses not to because she can't do those feelings, right? So. You know, you are exactly who your kids need. I feel like you have the faith that maybe they don't feel right now, but I know that through you, they will be okay. And through the Savior, because that's where you turn to for your, you know, when you don't know what the next step is. but. They're going to be okay. Yeah. I finally know that. That's true. During COVID, I, it's been really, I've been really grateful for it because I really realized with all the turmoil in the world that the Savior really was my only rock, that even loved ones, they're going to, right? They're going to fail us. They're going to hurt us. But it really just showed me that the Savior is my rock. Like I really turn to Him more now than I would have before. But I'm not a great communicator. I I will admit that. Um, and I love that I can say anything. I can talk to my Savior. I can say anything, and He knows what I'm trying to say. He doesn't get offended by anything I'm trying. To, I don't know. I just I love that relationship that I know. Um, that I have that I have that we can all have with him, this perfect relationship, even though we're not perfect. And even though we mess up, we can have that perfect relationship because he's perfect and he wants to support us. And, and I love that they know the beginning from the end. And I just keep getting the feeling that they're not worried about my kids. So if heavenly father and the savior aren't worried about my kids because they know how it ends, then I can trust in that. And I can just keep doing whatever it is, I can keep doing and know that it's enough, right? Because we go through that. I never went through the I'm not enough when my kids were little. I felt like I'm doing the best I can, and that's, that's what I can do. I felt pretty good. But now when they're adults, I feel like I'm not doing enough for my kids. And so that's another thing I've gone through recently. But I have come to the realization that I am enough um, because the Savior's enough, and He can use me and everything will be okay. Everything will work out somehow in the end. Oh, Michelle, I wish we could broadcast this to every mother <laughs> that has ever been and will ever be on the planet because I think you hit upon so many things that um, literally today I feel like my heart has grown three sizes. And I'm I'm so grateful that you are you. You would share just really 
I know this is just skimming, you know, some of your journey and some of the experiences, but what a gift you've given us today by sharing some of these things and how your faith has been tested and molded and tried. And I know I'm going to think about your words for a long time and hug on each of my kiddos. And I'm with you. I think there's always hope. There's time. There's hope. And there's somebody that knows the bigger picture and knows our journey for us. And I think you said that so beautifully today. So thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you. And keep posting those amazing posts (laughs) of Elsie because she's amazing. She's a gem and she's changing lives. I will. Thank you. Yeah.